The following sermon is from Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City at the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Manhattan. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith. Head to fapc.org and join our email list and be sure to subscribe to FAPC in New York City, our YouTube channel. And now we invite you to breathe deep and lean into the beauty of worship with Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. Listen now for God's word to you as it echoes to us from Psalm number one. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread or sit in the seat of scoffers but their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water which yield their fruit in its season, and their leaves do not wither in all that they do. They prosper. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, if you were editing a hymnal, what hymn would you put first? Each, each of these books, by the way, has a different first hymn. Imagine someone opening your personal songbook. How would you introduce it? What would you want folk to see on page one? Or, or, or maybe let's contextualize the question a little better. You're having a group of friends over for the evening. What's the first song in your playlist? What do you want people to hear as they walk in through the door? I ask because all this past week I've been pondering Psalm number one. Why did people of faith pick this song to be the first psalm? It doesn't soar, it doesn't sigh, it offers sort of a basic promise wrapped around a no-brainer of a warning. The warning comes first. Do not follow the advice of the wicked. And yes, this is solid counsel. It's what countless parents have said to teenagers as they head out the door. Don't make bad decisions. <laughs> Don't be tempted by glittery promises. Don't be lured into unhealthy habits. Happy are those, the psalm sings, who do not follow the advice of the wicked. This caution is then quickly followed by a promise. If, if you seek your roots into the waters of God's law, you will be happy. Others plant themselves in dry places. They will ultimately wither. Be wise, says the psalm, 
If you're not connected to the living water, transplant yourself now. Seek a source of nutrients that will make your life blossom. Meditate day and night on the law. Yawn. Sure, sure. That's what the rabbis do. That's what pastors spend all their time doing. But no one else, no one on the planet seriously thinks that the key to happiness is meditating on some dusty old legal scroll. Religious communities dispense this sort of mind-numbing advice at their peril. I may not have found the key to happiness yet, but it cannot possibly be meditating on the law. Can it? The Hebrew word for law found in Psalm 1 is Torah. Torah is a wide-ranging term. It gathers a lot of things under its wings. It can be used to describe the first five books in the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy. But Torah can also refer more broadly to the entire Bible and to all rabbinic interpretations of the good book. Contemporary reflections can be Torah. A sermon can be Torah. At times, Torah invokes the broad plot line of our faith. God creates, God calls people to serve, God forgives our mistakes, God saves us. God challenges us to act with justice, and God loves us like children. Torah is, is a compass. It's, it offers guidance when we are grappling with life's biggest questions. To whom should I be devoted? Where do I find hope? When everything around me seems chaotic and gloomy, what should I do? Jesus speaks Torah all the time. In fact, Christ famously summarized the Torah in this way. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the song Jesus wants us to hear when walking in the room. This simple equation, love God, love neighbor with all its not so simple ethical challenges. This, says Psalm 1, is the secret to happiness. Run your roots deep into this rich soil. Meditate on these words day and night, and you will blossom like a tree planted alongside clear water. The main metaphor in Psalm 1 is not complicated but it has a sort of enchanting power to it. You will be like a tree. You'll be rooted in Torah, grounded in love for God and love for neighbor. And because of this, you will stand tall in the storms of life. You will thrive, you will bear fruit. Mary Oliver's poem, when. I am among the trees, pulses with this same wisdom. Listen to it. When I am among the trees, especially the willows and the honey locust, 
equally the beech, the oaks, and the pines. They give off such hints of gladness. I would almost say that they save me and daily. I'm so distant from the hope of myself in which I have goodness and discernment and never hurry through the world, but walk slowly and bow often. Around me the trees stir in their leaves and call out, stay a while. The light flows from their branches and they call again. It's simple, they say, and you too have come into the world to do this, to go easy, to be filled with light, and to shine. Root your heart in the Torah, and you will shine, promises the psalm. You will blossom. And as you do, a breeze will stir your glistening leaves. It's the breath of God, and it will blow evil away. This is a remarkable claim, right? Evil isn't as tough as you fear. It has no real substance, no rootedness, like Lord Voldemort turning to ash at the end of the Harry Potter movies. Evil will be carried away on a breeze like empty husks of grain, like chaff in the wind. Poof it will be gone. Can that possibly be true? I had lunch this past week with Tom Long. Tom was my most formative teacher and mentor. He's now one of my oldest and dearest friends. Tom and his wife Kim have retired to live in a house near Cambridge, Maryland, alongside the Chesapeake Bay. Later this spring, Tom will also be a visiting preacher here at Fifth Avenue. At our lunch, Tom told me a story, which he also described in an article for the Journal of Preachers, and I asked his permission to read you an excerpt from that story today. The little town in which I live, Cambridge, Maryland, has two main streets. One is called Race Street, after horse races that were once held there. It runs primarily through the white business district. The other is Pine Street, and it runs through the heart of the African-American community. The two streets run parallel to each other, a block apart, but they may as well be in different countries. In the 1950s and 1960s, Pine Street was at least as vibrant in terms of business as was Race Street. There were grocery stores, funeral homes, florist shops, druggists, and an incredible collection of musical venues. Since Cambridge is a midway point on the highway between clubs in Norfolk and the music scene in Harlem, it was a convenient stopover for the great black musicians of the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Duke Ellington, who performed here, Sarah Vaughan, Ella Fitzgerald, James Brown, and Little Richard, among many other stars 
appeared on Pine Street. The street had two nicknames, actually. Black Wall Street, because it was flourishing with businesses, and Groove City, because of its vibe. Then, in the long, hot summer of 1967, in the midst of civil disturbances across the nation and stirrings of local racial unrest, Pine Street burned to the ground. A fire was set, by whom no one knows to this day, in the all-black elementary school. The all-white volunteer fire department refused to answer the call, and the school and several blocks of businesses were destroyed. The white-run banks in town would not lend money to the black merchants to rebuild, and Pine Street remains today a shadow of its former glory. On this former Black Wall Street, unemployment is now very high. And in Groove City, many of the houses are in deep disrepair. Even now, you can hear on Pine Street the lament, it would have only taken one fire truck. Cambridge is a city with a painful, heartbreaking history, like so many in our country. But after the death of George Floyd, some artists in the African-American community came up with an idea. They made a proposal to the city council, which astoundingly gave its unanimous approval. So several artists from Pine Street brought rollers and brushes and buckets of paint over to Race Street, where they were joined by white artists and other ordinary citizens, black and white, and they painted a large, lovely Black Lives Matter mural down the center of Race Street, which included portraits of various black figures who had been part of Cambridge's history. That was in June of 2020. Several weeks later, in the dead of night, a pickup truck stopped in the middle of Race Street and began burning rubber up and down on the new painting defacing the art. Cambridge woke up the next morning to find the Black Lives Matter artwork despoiled. When the police investigated, they discovered that a security camera on one of the stores on Race Street, though, had recorded the truck in action. It turned out to be a distinctive-looking truck with a license plate, and the driver was soon identified, a 21-year-old white man who hated all this agitation by black people. The main artist for the mural was then contacted by the city council, told of the destruction, and invited to repair the painting. She thought it over and replied that she had a different idea, maybe a better one. She invited the young man who defaced the art to have a conversation with her. Shocked and embarrassed that his deed of hate was now public knowledge, she agreed to meet. She told him that she wanted him to know what it was like growing up black in Cambridge. And she asked him what it was like growing up white in town. They talked. 
exchanged experiences, and got to know each other. The artist explained to the young man what the phrase Black Lives Matter meant to her as a resident of Cambridge with its harsh history. And at that point, the young man broke down and said, I'm so sorry, what can I do? The following Sunday afternoon, the young man and his parents went to Race Street and stood on the sidewalk next to the painting. They were joined by the artist and about 40 other town folk, black and white again. The young man stepped forward and made a public apology for what he had done, and then he took a paintbrush and joined the artist in the middle of the street, and they went to work. Do the actions of these two people signal the end of racism in this country? Of course not. There's so, so much work to do. Still, my friends, I think that this story is Torah. It's the sort of compass that Psalm 1 promises. It is wisdom that points the way forward. In Cambridge, Maryland, when they started restoring the mural, instead of simply painting over the damage, the artist had a new vision. At the top of each tire tread, the artist and the young man together painted the blooms of beautiful flowers, roses. The marks of the tires became the stems of the roses, and the mural began to blossom. Root yourself, says Psalm 1, in Torah. Sing the sacred law. Put loving God and loving neighbor at the top of your playlist and you will bloom. The whole world will bloom. Do this with courage, croons the psalm, for evil is not as strong as you fear. And when the spirit blows, it will disperse like chaff in the wind. Root yourselves, my friends, in the Torah. Love God, love neighbor, and see if life doesn't blossom. See if the wind doesn't blow the chaff away. Amen.